Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Outcasts with 1988 Kylie Minogue superfan winner David Berry and 1996 Tesco's Bikeathon third regional runner-up Tim Downey. Hello. Wow. Today's <laughs> yeah, that's right. Today's Outcast will swim with us uh, over the majestic coral reef out into the azure blue waters between the pristine sun-kissed atolls of Outlanderdom, there to bask like turtles whilst trying not to get eaten by gulls. Hmm. She's a four-time Golden Globe nominee, winner of two People's Choice Awards, two Saturn Awards, and can also be seen in the brilliant Oscar-winning film Ford and Ferrari. She, of course, has her brownies rambling and spearfishing badges, very coveted, very tricky to get hold of, and her 300-metre swim badge, very useful. It's Kat Balf, everyone. Welcome. Hello. Welcome. Thank wow. you for having me. Been an ap- I was never pleasure. a brownie. I'm, I'm really sad to say I was, I was not that privileged as a child. That's outrageous. Did you, did you ever indulge in any form of outdoor activity or organised outdoor activity? Such oh, as- I mean, I was raised by wolves, which is why I never went to the brownies. <laughs> that will do it. That will definitely do it. Fabulous. How, how have you been? First of all, how have you been? Oh my God, I've been amazing. What an amazing two months we've had. <laughs> I know. Hasn't it just? Hasn't it just? <laughs> and the Emmy goes to lived every Mal. dream. <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly what I wanted. Uh, it's been, it's been lovely, hasn't it? It's, it's been different. <laughs> it certainly has. It, yeah. Although I have to say, I was talking to my sister yesterday and, you know, I think if any group of people have been prepared for this kind of lockdown, it's got to be actors. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we we all know what it's like to have nothing to do, no purpose in life and um, just wander aimlessly around our houses for months. So I think I was, I was exactly, and I've no I, no idea what the future is going to hold. No, exactly, exactly. I've no idea whether you're ever going to get paid again, or uh, or exactly. see the inside of a theatre, or anything else like that. Yeah, <laughs> so, no, very true. I I think in some ways, you know, I've I've spent quite a few years of my life preparing for this exact moment. Excellent, you're you're match fit for it. This is your you time, Katrina. Yes, which is which is shocking because I've absolutely wasted it all. But you know, I I, I should have known better. But I but I'm not making use of it. So. Good. I'm very glad to hear that because I've done very little. I haven't done it. I've done any of those things that they said. Oh, wonderful! With all the time, you can write your script. You can write your opera. I've done none of that. Done none of that. Just basically been homeschooling and walking up and down <laughs> stairs. A lot of stair walking. I can do a lot it. of stairs. Hmm. A lot of stairs. A lot of stairs. <laughs> and on and on that wonderful link, uh, we uh, we here uh, at the Outcast love to love to replay a scene, revisit. Um, a scene as chosen by our lovely guest. And today's scene is uh, from, am I right in saying this is from the first episode? No. <laughs> it was wrong. It's from the first season. It is episode 109. First, that's what I meant. That's what I meant. I meant first season. Uh, yes. First season, ninth episode. Yeah, yes. There you go, you see. There we um, go. I believe that uh, episode is called The Reckoning. Mm-hmm. And it's quite a fiery and feisty episode. Claire and Jamie go at it, as it were, <laughs> verbally first and uh, somewhat uh, physically later. But I, I, I thought we would pick that lovely scene from the river to have, to have you two recreate it. Fantastic. Fantastic. And who would you like to play? Uh, I mean, you can obviously jump in yourself at any time. Um, but who would you who would you who would you hand out roles to? Well, I think I'm going to just a little competition um, between the two of you. Uh, the first person to name 
the two writers from season one who are no longer with us um, will play the character that I'm going to choose first. <laughs> okay, Ira, Ira, Ira Bear. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, who's the second one? Tim, help Just, me out here. And, and Justin Timberlake. Is it Justin <laughs> Timberlake? It was Justin Timberlake. It's not Justin okay, Timberlake. well, uh, David, David was closest, so... Uh, 50%, David, you will 50%. Be, you will, it was Anne Kenny is the person you're forgetting. Uh. Um, David, you're going to play Claire. Oh, Yes! Great, because I do a terrible Jamie. <laughs> he <laughs> really not does. the answer you wanted to hear. It's not because of I wanted to be Claire so much. I mean, I do. I wow. love Claire and, and, and all the rest. But <laughs> Jamie is just, I think we know on this podcast, Tim, I can't do a Scottish accent. And to sustain it for several pages, I think we just should all save ourselves the pain and embarrassment um, and just go with my, my Claire. Uh, Kat, I'm happy to take notes from you at any point. Um, what I'm doing wrong or just right from the heart, David. Just from the heart. <laughs> Probably the best. If it note comes I've ever from got. the heart, it can't be wrong. <laughs> That's the best note I've ever got. I'm gonna go with that. Fabulous. Right. And Tim from yes, from the chest, from it's the muscles. Hard. Hard. Yeah. Right, yeah, I'm. I'm there. I'm there. Don't you, don't you worry. Close your eyes and you'll be right back in the glens. Let me tell you. Right. Are you <laughs> do, ready? Do Davis? I get to say action? You get to or, say action. I, not only do you get to say action, you better be reading these this big print because uh, we might go a bit astray. If, uh, who knows where we'll get at with each other if we don't have you reining us in? I will. Uh, I will get. I will pull up that big print then. Okay. <laughs> um, Good. And yes. Kenny would be very disappointed if you weren't reading it. Was it Ira that yes. wrote this episode? Um, let's say yes. I don't know. I. Was it or was it Matt? I, you know what? That's terrible. Hey, I can't remember. It's okay. That wasn't a competition. And look, we settled for 50% okay. from me. So we right. got it. Okay. We got it. Action. Are you all right? You didn't hurt you. No, he didn't have the time. Thanks to you. That's settled. He faces her waiting, but she says nothing. So I'm waiting for you to see something. Anything that approaches an apology. She looks at him, not understanding what he wants. He looks at her, exasperated, struggling to keep a lid on his temper. Oh, right. Yes, I'll do that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, From the heart. uh, Apology? I was taken hostage by Jack Randall. Are you trying to make out that it was my fault? Jamie's temper builds as he paces in front of her. Here we go. My audition piece. Here we go. Is it your fault? Had you stayed put where I urged you to stay this morning, this never would have happened. But no, you wouldn't listen to me and I know that your husband, why mind me? You're taking it into your mind to do as you're damn pleased and next I can I'll find flat on your back with your skirts are the worst scum in the land between your legs from the point of taking you before my very eyes. Uh, wow. The two of them. Wow. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> what was that? <laughs> Force of nature. It's like having the wind in the room. <laughs> I, we need, I don't even know this is possible. You can't have subtitles on a podcast, but we really need them. Oh, <laughs> yeah. all, the, all the intent just there. said All there. the intent. <laughs> okay. Wow. Guys, I, I, I feel like I need to feel a little bit more, more, more anger and passion from both of you. You know? Okay. This is, right. this is, um, the two of them are almost nose to nose. Claire dredges up whatever flaws she can think of. Flaws? I think it's supposed to be. Well, whatever she can think of and hurls them at Jamie. I begged you to take me with you. I told you there was no danger in my going, but you would not listen to me. No. Continued. Uh, sorry, I'm getting really <laughs> riled up. Um, I'm only a woman. Why should you pay any attention to what I say? Women are only fit to do as they're told and follow orders. Now, David. Yeah. If it's hysterical, it's historical. How many times has she been told that women have no right? From the bottom of your loins. Go on. Uh, again? <laughs> i got to go again? Yes, I'm giving you notes. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> Wait, you can, that's a really deep note. to. Well, can you break that down for a sec? Because you, I think I got lost at the part if it's, Hysterical, it's historical. You gotta break that down for me. I'm bits of a slow. Well, you've study. never heard that being said before. No. When somebody like if so in a in a in a relationship, right? If somebody does something silly and the yeah. other person's response is like 
absolutely, you know, completely irrationally in, of a magnitude. It's never mm-hmm. about that one moment. It's about the history of 50 moments behind it. So right. if it's hysterical, it's historical. Right, 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 right. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. It's making a lot of sense about the arguments I've had in my past too. Are we going to lose you now for like 10 minutes where David just flashes? (laughs) All the mistakes I've made in my life down to this one acting (laughs) note. Okay, well, thank you. We'll we'll press on then. I just want to feel the, I'm just a woman. I want to feel your pain of a woman in that one like line. Okay. Come on, David. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. Let, uh, let me. I'm only a woman. Why should you pay attention to what I say? Women are only fit to do as they're told and follow orders. How's that? I'm 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 for Clement. Um, Jamie grabs hold of Claire, his hands digging into her arms as his anger takes over. And if you'd done that. We wouldn't be on the run with a hundred redcoats on our tail. Claire tries to wrench her arms free. Failing at that, she makes a determined effort to kick him in the balls. <clears throat> Jamie dodges, but lets go of her arms in the process. Try that again and I'll slap you till your ears ring. Wow. Mm. Wow. <laughs> as the actor and the woman here, as the actor and the woman here, Cat, I'm feeling something uh, from that line. Are, are, uh, are you getting turned on? Actually, not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I feel like I should be. Some other emotion. I feel like I should be. <laughs> or, or should I? Don't, I'm very confused right now. Uh, David, just allow it. Just allow it, David. Uh, what, what? The threat of physical violence isn't a turn on? No. So old fashioned. I'm, I'm trying to step into the, the the shoes of a woman here and understand if it could be, and I'm running up against no, but I'll see where this goes. She's not. Here's, here's the thing for you. She's not turned on at this point. Okay. Okay. There you Great. go. Thank you. I needed to get that. <laughs> Just in case. It's important because I'm acting as a woman here. It's the first time for me. Um, you're a brute and a fool. Do you think I went out and got captured by the English on purpose? I... I do think you did it on purpose. To get back at me for what happened in the Glade. Claire's mouth falls open. Incredulous. In the Glade? With the British deserters? Jamie nods. Sullen. Claire covers. Lying about the fact she was actually running towards Craig Nadoon. I see. So you thought to punish you. I took a walk in the woods on the chance there might be some British soldiers wandering about. Jamie, all I did was go for a walk. I ordered you to stay put. I don't have to do what you say. I, you do. You are my wife. Maybe, maybe some chest beating there, Tim, you know, just to get the real caveman. <laughs> that's, definitely not a, that's definitely not a turn on. I'm, am I right here? I, I don't know. I'm, I, I, I think thinking. you're right. Yes. You haven't seen me do it yet. Um, I'm not saying it's going to change matters. But, you know, <laughs> just you well, know, wait. I might change my mind if I saw you do that that chest beating. You're right. All right. I'll, I'll I'll do. I'll uh, I'll take the notes, take it on board, and add a little add a little something. Hey, you okay. do very William Wallace that. Hey, you do. <laughs> you out of my wife. Your wife, your wife, I'm just your property, aren't I? You think I belong to you, and you can't stand to have someone else taking something that belongs to you. You do belong to me. And you're my wife, whether you like it or not. I don't like it. I don't like it one bit. But that doesn't matter either, does it? As long as I'm there to swarm your bed, you don't care... Uh, you can w- care what I think or how I feel. That's all a wife is to you. Something you stick your cock into when you feel the urge. Jamie loses all colour in his face and he begins to shake Claire in earnest. Her head jerks violently and her teeth clack together. Let go of me! Let go of me, you you fucking bastard! The insult causes Jamie to fall backwards a step, eyes blazing. Foul-mouthed bitch. You'll not speak to me that way. Claire instantly regrets it. But it comes from a place of truth and they both know it. Jamie takes a long beat to gather himself. 
Oh, dear, for William, I'm nothing but an empty gun on my bare hands. Claire's own anger is beginning to fade. Her affection for Jamie blooming again as she watches the young man before her bear his soul. Can we see your soul? (laughs) 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 And when you are screaming, I'm going full Daniel Day-Lewis on this. Yeah. Tears well up in her eyes. All the rage has completely left Jamie at this point. He takes a long beat, turns away from her, then sits down, propping himself against a fallen timber and lowers his head. Tim, just give me a minute. I'm going to try and squeeze out a tear here. No, it's not coming. Go. Okay. You're tearing my guts out, Claire. Claire. Her own guts being torn out as well. Front of him. We missed an in there. Yeah. Taking his hands in hers. Tears coming now, Tim. Good. I'm sorry, Jamie. Forgive me. He looks at her now. A beat, then... Forgiven, lass. I'm sorry, too. I'll ask your pardon for what I said. I was sore and I said more than I meant. Will you forgive me, too? With a bit of shame, Claire responds softly. I'm kind of, kind of turned on now, maybe? (laughs) Don't know. Don't know. What are we supposed to feel here? (laughs) <laughs> well, I, I, I would say probably, I don't know that she feels shame. I probably would have argued against feeling shame at that point. But, mm. uh, you know, these kids. <laughs> these kids together, <laughs> messing around in a war. <laughs> what are you going to do? Well, thank you. Um, I mean, guys, if, if uh, chills, chills all you. over. Thank hopefully, you. hopefully we've given you... Um, I know it's a bit after the horse has bolted and all that, but hopefully it's given you an insight, uh, maybe that uh, that maybe you wouldn't have wouldn't have got before. Um, well, she certainly gave me an insight that I had wouldn't have got before. I've played a woman, and uh, yeah, I. I uh, Do you feel I changed think... on a cellular level? Cellular, no. Uh, I, I still have all my bits. I think, and they're, they're still yeah. there. Although you have, although you have taken your jacket off. I don't know if that the two I things have. are related. <laughs> Getting a bit flushed here for the ones at home. I did take my jacket off. I, I did feel something. Um, it could just be the frisson. Um, and these, this is what that was. That's what happens in these scenes. Frisson. Um, but that's a little bit something a little bit problematic about this scene too. That that threat of uh, if you're asking me as a woman. That threat of violence, just, I don't know if I can get past it. I, 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 don't, I don't, how did you it's get past it? from a different time, David. Okay. And she taught him that, you know, it's mm. not okay ever, but he had to learn. And Jamie does learn, and that's what makes him different from all men of his, of his time, is because he has the emotional intelligence to be able to learn. That's and true. And be a better human for it. Well, Kat, I was going to start off by asking, you know, Outlander, as, as it stands at the moment, is an end point. That's where, we, that's where we are at this precise moment in time. But where I like, I like the journey. The journey is the thing that interests me. So uh, at the moment, you, you have a book club. So obviously you have a great love of art, of books, of reading. And was that, was that where you grew up? Were your parents readers? Were they into the arts? Was that sort of where you grew up? Was that your background? Um, I definitely, I mean, yes, we are all a family of, big readers. Um, but my parents, um, I, you know, I grew up very much in the country. There wasn't a huge amount of, uh, culture (laughs) where I grew up. Um, you know, my dad was a police sergeant or a guard sergeant. And my mom for most of our lives was a stay at home mom, but my dad was very involved in, um, uh comedy troupe where <laughs> he and it was I mean it's there should be something made about them it was basically two school teachers a farmer a shop owner and a police sergeant and they would write their own skits and perform them and would also be in these competitions and they won all our Ireland championships a couple of years wow. in a row and stuff so um I think the the whole acting thing probably came somewhere from the him or that. But um, yeah, I mean, I also didn't have TV for many years growing up. So the library was <laughs> featured yeah. heavily in my childhood. And we would yeah. go every week you, you and we get a stack of books. Yeah. My little brother broke it. And <laughs> um, 
Still not gonna let him forget that. Still yes. don't um, no, so I was watching it. Francis wanted to play and I didn't. And he unplugged it and walked with the plug. He was like three and it fell down and smashed. And my dad was like, right, that's it. No more, no more TV for a few years. Yes. That sounds really <laughs> kind of, that's a harsh punishment for a seemingly small infraction there. Was he already against the TV? Was he, was that something he wasn't keen on or? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think probably we were encouraged not to watch it uh, that often. I think, you know, I, I grew up in the country and I think we were sort of <laughs> thrown out of the house and told to go off and play um, quite a bit. So, oh, yeah, my good. childhood was was very, uh, very outdoorsy. <laughs> yeah, my, my child was very, very similar. I grew up in the country and uh, my parents, uh, my father went to art school, but, but are not particularly arty um mm -hmm. and so i was very much sort of like the black sheep of the, the whole village for wanting to kind of like oh well let's look at it you know let's look at things in a different way but it took until i left where i was and went to the city was that something very similar to you as soon as you kind of leave where you are and you kind of go into the melting pot of a city where there are so many differing throngs is that when it started to begin to go ah maybe this is something i'd like to pursue yeah maybe? Well, no, I mean, so where I grew up is it's a very small community and definitely I felt a little bit like the outsider there. And, and you know, obviously it's a border county. I come from a border town growing up in the 80s there as a policeman's daughter. You're a bit like that anyway. Mm. Um, I definitely think in going from my tiny primary school, which had a hundred people, there was eight in my year. <laughs> but when I went to the town, the secondary school, I definitely found like-minded people there. And I was really, you know, any kind of theater group that we had in, in high school, I was hugely involved in. And I knew at that point that that's what I wanted to go on and do. So I I, as I knew as soon as I was going to leave school that I was going to go away somewhere. And mm. so I had applied to a bunch of theater programs and I went to Dublin and um, was studying drama in Dublin. But weirdly, I didn't love it as much as I thought I would. I, I mean, I loved mm. the learning part, but I think I was too young. I was 17 it was my first time out of home and I was probably more interested in going to the pub than um, learning how to do a uh, fencing dance with, uh, you know, to some, you know, there was just certain yeah. parts of the program and I'm not a singer and there was, they were trying to make us like singers and dancers yeah. and yes. it was that kind of drama program and mm. I loved the acting part of it but um my singing teacher said horrible things to me and so <laughs> I I I didn't I don't know I didn't connect with it as much as I should have at that time and so when at the end of the first year I was given an opportunity to move to Paris I was like out Lovely. And how long were you? How long were you in Paris? Did you did you continue studies in Paris, or did, were you working in Paris? No, I I I I became a model, and um, I was working in Paris. So I I lived in France for two years. Um, I lived in Paris for about eighteen months, and then I actually did a winter season in the French Alps. Um, I Lovely. I sort of took a year out of modeling uh early on and went and did a winter season and then did a bit of traveling and then went back to it and then I moved to London and then New York very well traveled and what with your father being involved in comedy did you ever think that that would feature uh, far more heavier like you know did you think oh maybe comedy would be a route seeing as you kind of see it with a parent and quite successfully as well <laughs> um I mean, it's funny. I I don't know. I I don't. I, I guess it's like something that's never really come to me. So I've I've always geared more towards drama, but mm. it's something I I secretly would like to. I don't know. Try my hand at. I don't know if I'd be any good at it. 
I think you would. I think you would. Put on put on a, a fake nose, <laughs> I think, a wig. I think people laugh at me a lot, but <laughs> I mean, unless you've seen Star Force, that wonderful I, I, I uh, think... recent. <laughs> oh, you were brilliant in that. I, I, you like that. I said you look. You like that chick from uh, Austin Powers. Um, what's her name? I want to hump a lot. Somewhere between that and and something in Rocky and Bullwinkle. I wasn't quite sure. It was, it was hilarious. <laughs> I did love it. Uh, <laughs> you should write this. You should work on your stand up too. You could uh, have a Netflix special yeah. in no time. Why not? I mean, everyone's doing it. I mean, oh, I yeah, could that. tell. I could think of a few reasons why not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to talk about uh, the the modeling life for a second, because um, you you went from successful model to very successful actress. But you're not the first person to do that. There's um, there's some other some other favorite actors have gone on that path. Like not? No, you're not. <laughs> you don't be so there's, I can think of Charlize Theron, uh, Jennifer Lawrence, Jessica Lange is one of my favorites to, to name a few. But Jennifer Lawrence, yeah. she started acting when she was like 16. How could she, she started have modeling before that? Can you can you imagine? She did. Really? Wow. Yeah, yeah. Overachiever. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You can talk. Um, but I, I think there's this, this thing, there's this problem that some people have with uh, accepting models as actors, like somehow being a model somehow threatens your credibility. And I'm wondering if, if this is something that you encountered in your career and, and, and what does modeling mean to you in your career as an actor? Well, it's really interesting because I still get described as a model actress and I think of all the actors who had jobs before they were actors whether they were barmen or waitresses or whatever and none of them get described as barman actor or waitress actress and it's really funny because it it's almost like it at some point it ceased to be a job and it became a personality description yeah this is idea that you're slashy you you can't be two things at once you and somehow being a model slash actor erodes your credibility of of being a a legitimate actor and um i find that very interesting particularly someone as you who've been so successful i mean you're running victoria's secret catwalks and stuff um you're cringing once. there. Once, <laughs> hey, I'll take it. If if that wasn't the one time in my life, I would claim it for the rest oh, of my life. God, um, yeah, it is interesting. I mean, look, I think it's also interesting because there are certain parallels between the two worlds. But then I think being a model and being an actor are completely different things. You know, as a as a model, you are always you have to be so conscious of how you look and the image, right? So everything is being aware of the exterior on a constant level. Whereas I think as an actor, that is the antithesis of acting. If you are concerned about how you look or how your body looks in any given moment, then you're not involved in the emotional truth of a scene. So you can't have any of that kind of external awareness. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, I mean, for me on a, like personally, they just feel like two totally, totally different things, but I also understand that there's certain, you know, there's certain things that I learned through modeling that serve me very well as an actor. I mean, I know where my light is <laughs> without even thinking about it. I, I can, you know, when I started, I, even though I had very little experience, I knew without having to think about it, where the camera is and how that it's sort of like a, you know, it's like a natural sort of thing about positioning yourself. And those things sort of came easy because of my prior um, career. But, you know, I definitely think there, you have to prove yourself twice as hard sometimes. I know when I first started on Outlander, um, we had a, a, a different hair and makeup person in the very beginning. And I, I know she uh, made some derisive comments about me being a model. And I think some people think that because you are a model, you get an easier shot at things or somehow people give you a chance just because you look a certain way. But as I think any actor who's ever 
gone through a show or anything, you know that you have to you have to earn your place and you get there because, you know, you're they're not going to give it to anyone. I hope. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, it's also, yeah. I don't know. It does erode your confidence though. I, I, when people say that, I mean, I, uh, people, not many people know this, but uh, I did have a feature in the big W uh, catalog one year. I think it was year 2000 people who <laughs> keep those um, might, might spot my face there, but I, I agree with what you're saying, but I think the qualities that make good models often make really good actors. I think um, having that confidence in front of the lens and, and understanding the frame um, is really important, particularly when I think film, maybe not so much for theater, but film is so much about composition and mise-en-scene and, when you think about like films of like Fellini or even Tom Ford and directors who frequently cast models in their films and they make amazing films um, and uh, having those qualities of just knowing how to comport yourself in, in a frame, uh, I think it lends itself sometimes to excellent acting um, from the outside in rather than the inside out. Um, and Fellini was someone who looked at stuff mostly from the outside in rather than the inside out but uh that's a whole another discussion no, but i do it? think it's i do think it's interesting because obviously you know uh, as an actor it is important to you know there's the emotional expression that carries through your physicality and i suppose if i mean i, I think i had to unlearn a lot of bad habits coming from modeling but i do think you know, like I said, I think there is a certain amount of stuff that I was able to take with me that have served me very well um, in this in this business. Just switching gears for a second and um, talk about love. One of the things Le Grand L'Amour. <laughs> See, speaks French as well. <laughs> Little known fact about Katrina Balfe. We'll, she could do the rest not of the really. podcast in French. <laughs> I'm not even going to attempt. Um, but one of the things I find uh, fascinating about Outlander is, is one of the, is the way that it, it deals with uh, romantic love um, and the way that it feels, on the one hand, uh, very relatable, but also very idealized and almost remote on the other. Like somehow Jamie and Claire are these two like super beings who can somehow so solve this mystery of um, the domestic and the erotic in this relationship that they have. And I think what makes it more um, remarkable is how they've endured this love affair through like time, space, grandchildren or whatever. Um, and they've almost like the model of the ideal uh, passionate romance, right? And um, while we strive for that, um, unfortunately, a lot of us kind of fall short of that that ideal. And I'm particularly curious about your take on this because recently you took the plunge yourself and uh, got married. Do you think that Jamie and Claire set unrealistic realistic expectations of what we should expect out of marriage and, and what do you think our obsession with Jamie and Claire tells us about our own ideas of love in this modern age? Um, <laughs> that's a lot to unpack, David Berry. <laughs> unpack um, it for us. Unpack it for us. <laughs> um, you know, yes, of course it's an aspirational love story, but I do think they're both very flawed and I think their relationship is very flawed. And I think that's what keeps it relatable and, you know, takes it out of kind of the Disney sort of feel of things. And, and I think that, you know, there's a reason why so many people have loved this book series for 20 plus years and now love the TV show. And I, I think that, you know, in the, in the sort of grand dressing of fantasy and the fact that there's time travel and that, you know, it's this metaphysical love very often their relationship does feel very normal and they get frustrated with each other. They make mistakes. I mean, that scene that we just read, uh, you know, you have two people who are coming from very different points of view and are very stubborn and quite stuck in their points of view, but they are able to break down that kind of barrier of stubbornness and, and, you know, instead of just entrenching themselves further in each other's point of view, they learn from each other. And I think that that's, 
you know, I think that that's a, a good, <laughs> a good example for everyone's relationship. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I think every TV show and every, every film sets an unrealistic example for relationships. You know, it's like Sam and I joke all the time with Jamie and Claire. It's like, they're the most codependent people. It's like they're about to go to the toilet and they're like, if I don't see you again, you know, <laughs> I'll you know, never stop loving you. It's like, right, we're just going to the bathroom. It's fine. I'll be back in five minutes, right. you know? And I, I, but I also think that why would we tune in otherwise? You know, we all live sort of lives that vacillate between mundane and <laughs> something else I don't know but you know we want to be entertained and we want to see these big emotions played out and I think it it gives us all some kind of cathartic experience and you know as as we know there are many many outlander children out there <laughs> that people <laughs> love to come up and tell us about that you know this show has reinvigorated their love lives or whatever it is and that's kind yeah. of amazing to be part mm. of something that you know absolutely although i would love the fire <laughs> although i would love to see uh, a scene where jamie comes into a room and claire is you know sat reading and, J and jamie will say who ate all this hummus who ate, <laughs> who ate my hummus because i had a tub in there and there's only you and me here so who, who had all this hummus or uh, that kind of uh, those kind of things. They would. They well, would that's, that's marriage right there. Yeah. Sam and I, Sam and I know. tried to put some funny things in. Like he has decided that Claire is a terrible cook. So every time we do any scenes where I hand food, he tries to make these little grimaces. <laughs> so it's it's like a running joke we have, and I don't know if it ever actually makes it into the cut, but. Um, but yeah, that's a bit more honest. And why, why does yeah. nobody ever go to the bathroom on TV? Well, like you I, never see that yeah. happen. <laughs> I mean, not that we want to, <laughs> but it's like, you know, <laughs> just, just for, just for thinking time as well, just for kind of, oh God, okay. The English are coming. Right. I've got to go to the bathroom. Don't, don't be in there an hour again because that last time is ridiculous. Oh, my we'd, all, we'd all like to see that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, That's I see. There you go. You unpacked it, I, and I, I, <laughs> I'm throwing you all the all the complex questions because um, because I I think it is a complex thing. Um, almost kind of disagree with what you say about Outlander. Um, and and it's the way that it, I it, didn't it, realize it's I was coming on here to be disagreed with. No. <laughs> We're not just well, here to tell you well, how wonderful you are because you are wonderful, <laughs> <laughs> but. I think what's special about Outlander is it does what a, a lot of dramas don't do. It, it a lot of dramas want to show conflict within uh, relationships, and that's how they generate drama. Um, and uh, I'm I'm getting a lot of grimacing from you, Katrina. <laughs> <laughs> it's like have you watched prior seasons? <laughs> like Jamie and Claire have quite a bit of conflict every so often. Not they now. Do. now settled into their marriage I think but this is the beauty of of this relationship as well it's like this is what Diane says is this is an examination of a marriage it's not necessarily an examination of how two people get together it's about how two people stay together which I think is exactly which I think most drama is about how we how most people are, are being torn apart um we mm -hmm. a lot of dramas a lot about like examine what's dysfunctional about relationships, whereas Outlander celebrates a very functional relationship, which in its core seems almost antithetical to drama, but a lot of people find the drama in that. And as you say, there is drama in that, and there's, I think a lot of people take a lot of thrill from seeing um, Jamie and Claire work out their problems in a very, uh, maybe it's not ideal, idealistic way, but a very life-affirming way, a very love-affirming way. Well, I think that's where a lot of their passion comes from, and I think you know, as you were talking about, you know, that earlier scene, it's like they are so physical with each other, but it's on a very equal footing. And I think that that is what also makes them so interesting to watch is that they are both these volcanic personalities that when they come together, it's just like so explosive. 
in all the best ways. And it's, it's, I don't know. I, I, I think, I think their messiness and their imperfection is, is so like key to what's so interesting about them, but it's also, you know, I, I don't think, I don't think we're striving to show people perfection. I think a lot of people really um, admire or or look towards their sex life. That they the the sex life between Jamie and Claire is, I I think, is a lot of the reason uh, people really idealize this couple. It's it's so passionate. In spite of the length of time they spent together, they can find any reason to to get it on. And um and and a lot of been has been spoken about Outlander's uh, handling of sex scenes and uh, the way that it seems to satisfy what they say that the female gaze, which which I think is really cool and laudable and uh, rev- they've called it revolutionary for TV. But I was wondering if we, I could ask this from a different angle um, and act, ask it from what it's like as the actor portraying these scenes because how they're perceived on screen may not be the same, have those same values of female empowerment, et cetera, et cetera. Um, when you're actually filming them, what's it like to be filming these sex scenes? And when you're asked to get naked and shoot a sex scene on Outlander? Well, it's interesting. I think, you know, season one was such a learning curve. Um, primarily I'd never done sex scenes before. Um, I don't think Tobias had, Sam might have on something else before, but we were all sort of you know, quite naive, I think about it. And, and in the beginning as well, I was really trying to find my footing as in where I could personally draw lines about what I was comfortable with and what I wasn't. And I think also it's not until you see yourself (laughs) later, um, where, you know, you, you really realize, what the impact of having scenes like that out there are. Um, And, you know, it's always this sort of fine line because you want to honor the character and you want to honor the scenes, but you want to protect yourself. And I think that that's always a really difficult line. Um, And especially, you know, we, we started filming the show seven years ago Um, I was a young sprightly thing in my early thirties. And as you get older, you know, it's like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a hard, it's a hard thing. And I, and, but also I, I think when I was starting in my thirties, I was in a very comfortable place in my life and with my body and all of those things. And I look at some of the younger actresses coming onto the show and you worry because we sort of set a precedent and you think, oh, you know, for young women in their twenties, do they feel as comfortable? Are they going to be under pressure to sort of show what we have shown? And and I think it's always such a difficult, um, it's always such a difficult thing because as an actor, you're not getting into this business to take your clothes off. You know, you're getting into this business to, to portray characters. And sometimes that's a necessity to say something about the character, but it becomes really difficult when it's, um, when it becomes expected. And then it, it almost feels like sometimes people expect certain things from you without taking into consideration that, you know, your family is out there and, you know, the local priest is watching the show <laughs> or whatever it might be. And that this stuff lives forever. Um, you know, so I, I definitely, um, yeah, it's, I have, I don't know. It's, it's still something to this day that I, it's always a negotiation about what is necessary for the scene and what is expected. Um, I think you said something interesting there about things changing from like in a, in a time period. And I'm thinking also that what's changed in that time period is that uh, in 2017, we had the um, massive Me Too movement. And um, mm-hmm. I'm wondering, has that in any way changed the way you approach a sex scene? Um. Not really on our show. I mean, for Sam and I, because I think, you know, we learned so much after the first season that I think we 
sort of put in protocols after that first season that um, sort of worked for us and worked for the writers. And, and we sort of continued that. I think, you know, what was, what, what changed after that is I think a lot more characters came on the show that needed to um, also do sex scenes. And I think that that just gave a broader awareness to everyone. Um, but I think everyone, I think everyone's just more aware now that they, that it's, it's not just this expectation that anything goes and that people have to be sensitive, um, which I think is so important. Um, but I, you know, I think it's also, um, you know, I, I've noticed it a lot more on other sets when I've gone to sets that, that there's a different atmosphere since the sort of Me Too movement, I think, in Scotland. Um, you know, we sort of <laughs> live in a bubble. Um, and that's not to say that there's anything wrong or anything, but, um, you know, I, I think I think it's I think it's always been quite respectful with us. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I've I've said this uh, before, but um, I I remember that one of the things I got I, I received with dread when I when I signed the the um, Outlander contract was, and here is your nudity clause, and I was like, oh geez, I've never signed one of these, and I'm not quite sure if I'm I'm ready to. Um, but uh, and, and I was always holding out. I was thinking, you know, any any moment now they're going to write a sex scene for me. At some at some point, it's going to happen. That's just, that's Outlander, um, and and one of the first things that when people mention Outlander, Outlander and sex scene, sex scenes are kind of synonymous. And uh, sure enough, it did it did get written in at one point. I think it was in season. You four. had a sex scene last last season. Yes, it was. It was in season four, and I I remember in a, in a in an early draft. There was like naked bodies and 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 uh, and uh, lots of like things that made me kind of feel very uncomfortable, um, but also thinking like, man, I got to get to the gym, and I had that same body shame that that you have, you know, as an actor. It's it's not um, some of it's vanity, but also some of it's just like taking your clothes off on on national television i think it, it's not it's very human to have that sense of like I don't, I don't know if it's shame but just embarrassment or or privacy or it is yeah and it's such a weird thing because you're constantly or at least i constantly am torn between these two things of well claire would not be going to the gym so i should not have a gym body um and she's now a woman in her 50s so you know, I should try and let that be the thing that sort of leads me. But then you have all of your own personal shit, right? You have your own personal shame and vanity and all of those things. And you try and leave those at the door. But also, you know, that if you feel insecure, that's going to hamper your ability to lose yourself in a scene. So it's always this thing I'm constantly battling with between leaving my shit <laughs> at the door and also giving myself, I guess, enough confidence to be able to walk into those scenes and not have to think about whether or not I have cellulite on my ass or, you know, my whatever these things are that kind of run through your head and it's you know we're we're not unflawed <laughs> people and and it's hard sometimes to um to also live up to the expectation of the fact that sometimes you're given very little warning of when you're going to shoot these scenes and that's quite frustrating like sometimes these these scenes can be thrown on you like within two days notice and you know, as a woman, there are many things you have to consider. And it's, you know, sometimes biology and cycles, and I'm going to say it, like these things have a huge effect on your ability to sort of be free in these moments. And, and I think sometimes that's something that 
producers don't always consider. And <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm more worried about um, my carb loading and you know my, my sugar intake. <laughs> so I've, I've never had to really think about that. I mean, we're <laughs> unpacking it, right, David? So I'm just you know putting it all out there. <laughs> well, I don't know if you do, do know this, but maybe what needs to happen is you, ne- you need to have a better uh, relationship to the VFX department, okay? Because I have it on good authority from someone who's worked on some of these Marvel films that there is a certain budget that's put aside for certain actors to um you know get do some sort of cosmetic things when they're when they're on screen. So if you have a multi million dollar, say if you got you set aside a million dollars, million dollars for a ex superhero to uh you know fix the hair there, facelift there, abs there, physique just so then you don't even have to go to the gym. You don't have any of those worries about um, body shame. And um, that's what you have to do. I, I, yeah, I just, I just don't think we have the Marvel budget <laughs> to take care of all of that. There was enough worry on the last, uh, on the last season where um, I came up to do, to do a tiny little scene. And it was just me reciting the letter or the letter back to Murta's troops to say, no, 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 you're going to surrender and you're going to do all this. And it was just me in my little hut pacing backwards and forwards uh, dictating this this letter and the night before uh although either the morning before i got on the uh, i got on the boat to then get the plane because we were on the isle of Wight uh at the time my youngest uh i went to go and pick her up she didn't want me uh and so poked me bang straight in the eye and burst the blood vessels on the eye so much so it my eye looked like uh, like a bionic black sort of like <laughs> pool ball like a black eight ball totally cut and it was it was like it was a horror it was an absolute horror so much so that people would literally kind of go oh is everything okay and so when we got on set to do this to do this particular scene literally we had gangs of people come around going what on earth is that i've never seen anything quite like that are you okay is it bleeding now things like that so they had to color that in so they had the fx guys come in and spend whatever budget there was to colour in my incredibly bloodshot eye, so I didn't look like some sort that's of. That's where our whole budget went. That's where the budget went. That's, I, I hear they where... also CGI'd your moustache out because you refused to shave it off. Am I correct? It's uh, I'm very much like Samson uh, when it comes to that. <laughs> and if you take it away, um, you wouldn't do it to Selick. Uh, you wouldn't do it to Reynolds. Uh, you wouldn't do it so... to Henry Cavill, apparently. Wait, go, who's see. Reynolds? Burt Reynolds. Oh, yes, of course. Smokey and the Bandits. Oh, Not Ryan Reynolds. I know. Ryan Reynolds is. Imagine a... that. If you actually saw the real Ryan Reynolds, <laughs> and he had a big, full full set, big beard, incredibly long eyebrows. Yeah, wow. That's that's impressive. It's interesting that you have to hearken back to the 80s for your mustache references, Tim. Well, most of them are now beards. Selleck, Reynolds. Yeah, Reynolds, <laughs> Selleck, still very relevant. Apart from Reynolds, he's dead. Um, but mainly now it's beards, you know, look like Zach Galifianakos, uh, very famous sort of beard wearer uh, from The Hangover. Yeah, no, no, I, uh, it's just an yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah, He can't be that famous, Tim, if you have to explain where he's from. <laughs> well, I was given, I was given, I was given a look like I'd like I'd said it wrong, which is a very much, a very much a thing I do of saying things ever so slightly wrong. No, no, I mean you'd be saying it right. I, I, I was always Galifianakis, but. Well, he doesn't answer that. He won't, what, one thing with him is he won't answer. If you say his name slightly wrong and you're on the phone, he'll just say, I don't know who that is. You know, one of those kind of, no, you uh, know who I mean. You know who I mean. Galifianakis, that, that's somebody else. Oh. <laughs> oh, petty. Petty. I had another question just before we wrap things up. Outlander has become a huge part of your life. You've received widespread acclaim for your performance. You've broken into mainstream Hollywood with films like Ford versus Ferrari. But moving forward, what else do you hope to get out of Outlander? You're now a producer. You've mentioned maybe directing. Um, what sustains you as a creative person coming back to the same show in the same role year after year for six years? I mean, the show chronicles this enduring love between Jamie and Claire. My question is, what fuels your enduring love for the show? Oh, so many things. Um, you know, it is, it's, it's definitely changed over the years for me. And I think that was part of the main reason that I was so eager to become a producer. I mean, I think in many ways, you know, seasons one and two, I was just on set all the time. And, you know, season three, the show started to open up a lot more and it was no longer all told through Claire's perspective. 
So sort of since season three, I've actually had less to do. And I, and I think to be able to keep growing in this show, it felt like I needed to find sort of another outlet and um, start kind of, you know, expanding or just, you know, finding new things to learn. And I think that that's what becoming a producer has been about. And it's been a very interesting learning curve. I mean, obviously, you know, there's a limit to our involvement and a limit to our influence because there's already such a strong team of producers already there. But definitely going forward, I mean, you know, I have made no secret of the fact that I would love to direct. Um, I think that this would be the perfect opportunity for me since I know the show so well, I know the crew so well. Um, I think I have absorbed a lot of information watching the countless directors that we've had on the show. Um, and it's just something I think I would, I would love to do. And, you know, we'll see. <laughs> that's, uh, that's not something that's just sort of given out uh, willy nilly but I'm chipping away at the powers that be uh, with the hope that one day they'll let me. So we'll see. And then you'll all regret it. (laughs) (laughs) And then, then, when it's all in black and white and all shot on a fisheye lens, yes, that'll be it. Fabulous. Well, Kat, um, thank you so much for your time uh, and your insights into into Outlanderdom. Hopefully you weren't pecked to death by gulls as the as the turtle from our said intro um which is always good we are not the gulls it was a, it was a metaphorical gull uh but thank you <laughs> i missed that very much it's right my pleasure. thank you yeah. so much <laughs> but thank you for bringing back around to that <laughs> people want to know people want to know what was going to going on with that and uh, you know it's i thought you were the turtle but now that i know that i was the turtle this entire we're time. all the turtles cat <laughs> we're all the turtles is this like a terry pratchett turtle I don't know. Is it sort it's of... like a Terry Gilliam uh, sort of turtle. Oh, okay, okay. So it doesn't carry the weight. Of, it doesn't carry like another a, a world on its back. <laughs> well, we we unpacked the big stuff with you, Cat, and we went through all kinds of weird metaphors. So thank you for bearing with us. Well, it's my absolute pleasure, and so lovely to see you both. Hello, and welcome to Listener Questions. Uh, Tim, we have a great one here today. It's from Cheryl. Cheryl says, Hi, David and Tim. I really enjoy your podcast, especially the episode with Richard Rankin and the discussions about food. Uh, My husband has a strange habit of urinating in the tea he serves guests at our home. He says it gives him a kick. Though I was shocked at first, I have started enjoying it too. In fact, I do the same when making tea for our guests. I have heard that drinking urine is not harmful. Is it safe to continue doing this? Thanks very much, Cheryl. Well, wow. Cheryl. Wow. That oh, is... Uh, what do you got to say to oh. that, Tim? Um, well, I'm not coming around your house. Uh, that's that's for darn sure. <laughs> certainly not going to accept any hot beverage or lukewarm, more to the point. I'm not going to certainly accept a lukewarm beverage from you. Um, I, I believe it's not harmful um, to drink urine. I I do think, though, it's not something that should be continued. It sounds like an offence. It sounds um, quite aggressive thing to do. What have these people done to you? Is the first question. Why would you do such a thing? Have you? Is this just the tip of the iceberg? Have indeed you, in fact, defecated in a brownie or some sort of dirty protest with a Sunday lunch? I just don't know. It honestly, it puts me on edge, and I'm quite quite concerned about those those around you um it's quite full-on i think yeah. it's given me an instant headache david i'll be honest yeah I, I certainly hope you don't own a restaurant or anything like mm. that um, i've never really understood how to make tea and I'm, I'm glad we have you as an authority here tim to tell us how tea should be made because up until this point i didn't know that you didn't put urine into tea it's why i never drank it um but thank you yeah. an englishman here has told us how you make tea um don't put urine in it um, Don't put urine in it. No, not safe. I think we've no. answered that uh, categorically here. And mm. uh, thank you for that question, Cheryl. Yeah, urine should only be used. Uh, should really only be used for uh, when you're tanning your own leather uh, in your house. And every Englishman knows how knows how to do that. Don't need to tell anybody here. 
Thank you for listening to Outcasts. Please remember to rate, subscribe, and leave a review as it all helps. Follow us on our Instagram page at outcast.podcast for all the latest updates. Or you can send us an email at outcastspodcastshow at gmail.com. Every week, we shall select a question from one of our listeners to answer on the show. The theme music is composed by Kieran Ledwidge. All views and opinions expressed on the show are our own and have no affiliation with the series of books written by Diana Gabaldone or the Sony Stars television show Outlander. No animals were harmed in the making of this podcast. Although I did have a ham sandwich earlier. So, See you next time. See you next time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.